Here we go again on our own deep shit. This is the deepness of the shitness, and can I get a witness? Hey guys, it's me, Baron, um, on a new episode of Deep Shit. Thank you for listening. I'm going to tell you right now, um, this episode is all over the place sound-wise. Um, I used some relatively cheap microphones to tape this episode, so in this conversation you're going to hear sounds that sound like, well, it sounds like when we had CD players and uh, a CD was scratched or something and there'd be a skip and you could hear that kind of tick, 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 that ticking sound that you couldn't tell if that was in the song or if it was your CD or CD laser being all messed up. But for me, I could always tell because it wasn't in time with the song and when songs would change over, I would still hear the ticking. So... Every now and then you're going to hear a sound like that in this episode, and I apologize for it. Um, I didn't want to deprive you of what I thought was a very good conversation with one of my closest friends, a gentleman by the name of Benari Poulton, who is my uh, writing partner. Uh, Not only is he a good friend, but he is also my writing partner. I've known Benari for a really long time. Met him years ago in Boston, Massachusetts, where we both went to school. He's from outside of Boston, a town called Chelmsford. Uh, I'll say it like that in my weird kind of Kennedy or uh, my Kennedy accent. Ask not what you can ask because you should just don't don't ask don't ask things. Stop asking. I went from a Boston accent into a Brooklyn accent for absolutely no reason, so I apologize to your ears. So anyway, the thing that we talked about is control. An interesting subject, um, but we talk about it in terms of career uh, more than anything else, in terms of setting goals for yourself and achieving them, etc., uh, etc. Et so thinking about what it is that you do and don't have control over in terms of getting what it is you want. And uh, nobody think about the alchemist right now. Do not think about Paolo Coelho right now. Stop thinking about the alchemist. Don't. Stop. Stop. Don't. Stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop thinking about the alchemist. What? I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, Anyway, um... I'm here, alive. (laughs) I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Guys, um, listen to this gentleman, Mr. Benari Poulton, a man I've known in a long time. Uh, Recently back from Afghanistan. We talk about that a little bit. So, uh, I'm just going to let you hear things now. Go forth and listen. Shitty bands from the nineties. Yeah, what's nothing wrong with shitty bands from the nineties? Well, I mean, in many ways, they were all amazing bands. That's they're amazing in their shittiness. Well, they were who they they were. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, if you're gonna be a shitty band in the nineties, you yeah. might as well be the shittiest band 
that ever there was. And that, that, that really does solidify their place in history more than anything else. People remember who was more awful Absolutely. in the 90s. People remember the awful pieces of the 90s more than the great parts. Sure. Right? I could never be your woman. Do, 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 do. Oh, who is that? White Town. Never had another song, I don't think. I think they only had the one song. Not even another hit. I don't think there's another White Town song. Do you know what I know that song from? A movie Mm -hmm. called I Could Never Be Your Woman. Right. Directed by Amy Heckerling. Okay. And it was Michelle Pfeiffer and Paul Rudd. And which one couldn't be the woman? Michelle Pfeiffer couldn't be Paul Rudd's woman because she's older than him. That was the whole, it was like a rom-com comedy. Classic 90s problem. Uh, I think it was 2000s, that movie. 90s. It was actually, I mean, Paul Rudd's always pretty funny. I think it just came out last year. I don't think it came out last year. (laughs) And you know who else was in it? Uh, Who played her daughter was um, Sarsha Ronan. Not Sasha. No. There's an R. Sarsha, because it's spelled Sayorsiya or something. Sure. It's It's spelled Kowarski. No, what was that movie? Hannah? You know what I'm talking about? The one with uh, Eric Bana that came out with the little girl? Oh, yes. That's the girl. She was in the, the, The Lovely Bones. Is she Hannah? Yeah, she's Hannah. She played Michelle Pfeiffer's daughter. But not she to be like, confused really, with Hannah Montana. Not to be confused totally with Hannah Montana. Totally different thing That's altogether. Hannah plus a state. So the only thing about that White Town song is that it's absolutely the Imperial March played on a violin. That's true. But like a violin like with a filter that's kind of like it's coming out of like a... It's like, on a, it's like a Casio filter of a yeah, violin. That's... Man... And then looped. You know what song, uh, what soundtrack I fucking love? It's the So I Married an Axe Murderer soundtrack. Well, that's a great movie. The soundtrack is also well, it's a great soundtrack fantastic. to a great movie. Yeah. The great, the, it's a great movie, but then also the soundtrack is a lot of that 90s. Like, there's like, There She Goes is on there. The oh, Cranberries. Yeah. A lot it's, of that Empire, a, well, Empire Records shit. That, the soundtrack to So I Married an Axe Murderer is basically the template for every movie coming attraction that was made since. What do you mean? Like, every song on there is like, he was alone until, there she goes, there she goes, like, there she goes again. Were we going to write Cut a to, sketch that was about that or yeah, something? Yeah, just everything. Was just, every, uh, just, uh, we, should, we should still write that. Like, uh, what was just it? Just like every, every pop, fun, like, rom-com every trailer, song. Exactly. Every trailer ever. And suddenly he saw, suddenly I see. Suddenly I see. But he was a dog catcher. Who let the dogs out? That turned into... A very famous person. Hey there, you're an all-star. <laughs> but, but then venture. Ding 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 ding. Go play, go play. That's for Donkey Kong. Yeah. Um, but it all worked out in the end. It's a bittersweet symphony. I know. Anyone listening right now is their ears are bleeding. Their ears are bleeding right now. Yes. That's fine, so I, I apologize for your bleeding ears. This will all be cut out, and by this will all be cut out, this is all how this is starting. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make sure all of this stays in there. Yeah, definitely. This is gold, I tell you. Definitely, it's gold. This is comedy gold. It's, it's San Francisco, 49ers. <laughs> boo. Um, I don't know why I would boo that. Or the, was it 1849? 1849, when that was the gold rush, right? The gold rush. Not 1949. 1949. Totally different rush. A Nazi rush. <laughs> no, no, the Nazis were gone by 1949. Yeah, okay, all right. That's a like pretty. A, his, that's a. I mean, that's that's just history. 1949 was the be- beginning of the 50s. Well, the end of the 40s, really. Do you always feel like this you're is kind of in the midst of the baby boom, ha- like the fun part of the baby boom, which is the conception. That's true. 
the beginning of the greatest generation. Right. Well, the greatest generation had basically. Kicked oh, these are the baby boomers. Yes. Right. The greatest generation. The greatest generation had basically they were the kicked evil's ass. Kicked evil's and then ass. they got it on. And then they just boom, boom. So suddenly, many I, suddenly, suddenly, I see. <laughs> oh, good God. Um, there. Here's a theory I have. It's two. It's 2012, right? I think that we are now in the middle of the 2000 decade. I feel like the 90s didn't really end until 2001, probably <laughs> because of 9/11. But I feel like the 90s didn't really start until like 93. Well, also, like. Millennially speaking, no, no, no. Two thousand is technically the end, and oh one is the first year but, of but the new. I, I that's mean a technical. It, thing. I mean it. That's technical, right? That's just technical. But I, I'm not talking like about like it numerically. Zero. I'm talking about it conceptually because I feel like the '90s didn't really start until '93, and then like '92 was still kind of the '80s. You know what I'm saying? Well, you, that's you because that's because we went from '84 was the beginning of, was the end of the '70s, well, and the th- '70s didn't really start until '70 okay. like three. The 70s didn't really start to like 79. That was like the start of the 70s. I feel like the, the 70s are really short. Like the 60s didn't end until like 73 or 74. The, and then the 80s started in maybe 79. Because the 70s was a little schizophrenic in what they were. Because are you talking black exploitation era 70s? Are you talking disco 70s? Are you talking oh, Brady were... Bunch 70s? Are you talking... So, I mean, there were so many different... And everyone was reinventing themselves from the 60s. Right, right. So you right. had all these – everyone was suddenly like, if you were electric, you went acoustic. If you were acoustic, you went electric. If right, you were right. electric and acoustic, you went disco. Like, no one knew what the hell they were doing. Right, right, right. So many drugs. And then, yeah, that's probably why so many drugs. And then the 80s was just, let's sell all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we can make money we and can keep make it. 14 of you. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, now you've been in L.A. for what? Just a couple days. A couple days now. A couple days. And uh, how are you enjoying it so far? Uh, weather is great. Of course. That's Traffic is awful. That's L.A. Well, you came here from the west side, right? Yes. We're yes. on the east side at my apartment in Los Feliz. Um, Los Feliz proper. <laughs> I know mm-hmm. that's a thing. But yeah, that's a it's a bitch coming from the west side to the east side. Yeah, yesterday wasn't. That's why I'm on this side because when the earthquake happens. Like, people on the west side are not going to be able to get over here because of traffic. And I'm really close to the five, and boom. I'm Why would Vegas. they need to get to this side, though, if there were an earthquake? Because that's the side of the state that's falling into the ocean. The west side. Yeah. Closer to the beach, closer to the water. I'm on the, si- I'm on the other side of the fault line, baby. The moment not, I start feeling them tremors. Not that. I'm on the five. I'm in Vegas. You the don't even whole know. state's kind of fucked when that starts happening, though. Nope. You've got to get out of California. Let me have something. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like let me have something. All right. So you basically want I mean, I think you got to go beyond the Hoover Dam to really be safe. If Superman if Superman has taught me anything. Hey, oh, the original what Superman What has Superman taught you? Uh to not be standing on the Hoover Dam when the earthquake You know what? Hits. You actually reminded me. I tried to I've tried to repeat your theory about the problem with Superman movies <laughs> to someone and I feel like I'm paraphrasing it horribly. So why don't you <laughs> outline that to me right now, forever on the internet? Benari Fulton Go. Well, which which theory? The, you, um, I remember you talking about that, like. Are we talking the Siegel Schuster theory? Of well, no, no. That you feel like th- that people are working against what Superman's actually about. Yes, I think that the biggest problem that people have approaching a new Superman movie right. is that they're constantly trying to justify this character. That right. Doesn't need justification. Right. You. you there is already a world in place. There is a mythology in place. Right. You don't. It's not something that has to be re- reinvented. Well, that's 
so I I think I'm I paraphrased that, but then I'm going what I extend it to, and, and feel free to be like, no, that's not exactly what I said. Was that the justification is why does Superman care, right? Right. Why does he care about people? So they have to spend all this time in the movie trying to make us be like, oh, he likes us. Right. And I think that the key the key to Superman's character is not trying to justify why he cares. We know why he cares. He cares because of Lois Lane. Lois Lane's the key to Superman's humanity. It's it's a story of uh, an immigrant. It's the it's the classic American <laughs> immigrant story. Yeah. He's a stranger in a strange land. He comes from another place. They it's, changed his he, name in Ellis Island. They changed his name in, from uh, from he it was from Kalel. Su- 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 he, he was Supermanstein, and he, <laughs> <laughs> now he's just Superman. You're Superman. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> but continue. Clark Superman. So, uh, but there are many elements, I mean, there, it was created, it's, Superman is a creation of two Jewish kids Mm -hmm. in, who grew up in Kansas. Yeah. He grew up in the Midwest. So you're two Jewish kids in depression era Kansas. And you don't not look Jewish. Like you have to understand too, these were nebbishy, dorky, brainy kids who love sci-fi and all these sorts of things. Which, which was before there was really sci-fi. And before there was really sci-fi. So all they had like, were their imaginations. And they had Dickens. And, and they had Dickens. And I think, so you have a lot of that that was going on. Mm-hmm. You have uh, sort of the, the international stakes that were going on with the in, uh, World War II was coming. Right. Uh, and then you also just had you know these two kids who were in love with the Shiksa girl. So you had these two Jewish kids <laughs> in love with the Shiksa girl. How do you impress the Shiksa girl? Oh, well, if beneath this nebbishy exterior were really the ultimate American hero, rugged, right. good looks, Ben Steele and his bare hands. Like they look like Christopher Reeve. Looks like Christopher Reeve, but Woody Allen on the inside. That's... <laughs> And, th- you know, that's really – and Christopher Reeve got that. He he actually uh, – he was doing Cary Grant from Bringing Up Baby. Right, who right. Who was really dorky, really nerdy, didn't really know what he was doing, and then he takes off the glasses and he's Cary Grant. And right. that was – that's really the key to Superman is even though he looks like he looks on the outside and is doing all these things, he's just trying to impress the girl. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he cares about humanity is because he cares about Lois Lane. It's a romantic story. That's your in. You don't need to go any further than that. You don't have to make it about Jesus or Moses or Allah or reinterpret it for any anything else. He's a stranger in a strange land who comes here, falls in love with the girl, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just wants to impress her. So basically what you think the problem is is that people go epic and they really need to go simple. Yes, they go epic, and they, they should go simple. And the, the simple things he's doing are on an epic scale. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the great things that they play with, too, is that no matter what Superman— In the Richard Donner Superman movies. In the Richard Donner Superman, but also in the, in the comics, even, even at— Okay, well, yeah. But even at their goofiest right. in the 50s and the 60s when they had the comic code coming down on them, it didn't matter what Superman did. He really wasn't impressing Lois. She always wanted to marry him, but he would juggle planets, and she was like, not impressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go make you jealous. She was that Shania Twain <laughs> song, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of the 90s, she was that Shania Twain song. So, I mean, there, there actually is a really— cool interplay there where on the one hand he's trying to keep her at a distance for her own safety but <laughs> but by the same time he's constantly trying to impress her right hmm okay yeah that second part i've never said but the first part i, def- <laughs> I definitely have so i just want to make sure i was getting it right you heard it here finari polton 
That's <laughs> but, by the way, but there are other theories that go along with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your theory. Uh, yes, and but it, that's just part of part of my theory. I could talk this entire podcast about Superman. You know what? We might have to do a Superman podcast. But I but I, I do think like with Man of Steel coming out, you know, I was watching the the trailer for it, and it looked like a clean, cold jeans commercial. Right, like, right. What is this manufactured nostalgia about? Why? Like he's just running through the wheat fields. But we also don't know the uh, the context of it yet. No, but but I feel like and that's ultimately it is a teaser, and I think that's the biggest problem with teasers and trailers right now is that they either tell us way too much about the movie or way too little about the movie. No one has figured out that good in between yet. I think that one of the reasons why the Donner film holds up so well, and Superman 2, uh, that Superman 1 and Superman 2 hold up so well. I should say Superman the movie and Superman 2. Uh, okay. Uh, one of the reasons those two movies hold up so well is because they just play the character as the character. They just they go from... You know, Krypton blows up. His tragic background, right? Raised, uh, you know, by by this wonderful family, learns the importance of responsibility, but also by um, where he grew up, not to outshine people when it's unnecessary. He learns not to be a bully. He right. learns right. to be a good person to to give back to the community. And when you can do, just because you can do something amazing, don't rub it in people's faces. Right, and that's right. such an important component of what then makes the character the character when he becomes Superman. And then you get the third part of the story. He gets into the big city. He leaves the small town and he gets into big city. And now you got, you know, well, he's got Luther. This, he's got these midwestern like middle America values. Right. And then he goes to fast paced New York, where everyone's talking a mile a minute, and has completely different priorities. Absolutely. And you know how is this so he's a fish out of water fish out of water fish out of water it's a constant stranger in a strange land mm-hmm. uh motif and that's part of the fun of it and then he, you know he's superman he he takes off the glasses and the 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 thing that the movie did so well is that his first real act as superman is saving lois lane right he's not going to all these other things happen and he's sort of doing little things here and there, but the moment that he decides I'm going to be Superman is he's saving Lois Lane. Right. And that's the key to why does – that answers the question, why does he care about humanity? He cares about Lois Lane. Right. Okay. It's love. Didn't you uh, – It was always love. Didn't you write a thesis, a paper about I this? should. I should just – so all your producers out there, <laughs> I will write my, the hell out of a Superman movie for my you. My podcast has got producers up the waz listening. Well, when you want to do Man of Steel 2, call me. Man of Steel the movie. The movie. Um, well, 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 we're going to go see Man of Steel. I know that much. Yes, and we'll be, because we, we've already been upset. You showed me the picture of Henry Cavill as Superman, and you were like, look at this. <laughs> I, I never realized that it would be so upsetting to not see red trunks on a man. <laughs> <laughs> the absence of red trunks is so unsettling. Have you seen that picture of the new RoboCop? Yes. Why? Well, look, there's no way we're going to be happy about it. We're, we're familiar with these images. We've been taught them for so long. I mean, it's even like Jesus is a manufactured freaking picture. That's probably not what Jesus looks like. But if you change it from hippie Jesus, people are going to be upset because that's what they know. But I think it's also there's there's something about an icon. There's something about when you've created something that's iconic mm-hmm. and resonates in the popular consciousness. Right. Then why mess with that? When you have something that's already easily recognizable, Yeah, you don't need why, to change, why change how it? RoboCop looks 
You don't need to change how Superman looks. You yeah. just need to, you know. And by the way, the problem, if you want to reboot the RoboCop franchise, the problem was not with his look. There was something, <laughs> there's something really, there's something really fun about that. And that gets to the essence of what made RoboCop such a great movie. It was such a great satire. It's yeah. Such yeah. a great dark satire of corporate culture, mm-hmm. privatization. It's anti-privatization. And anti-corporation it's- in the context of a mainstream sci-fi action movie. Yeah. It's incredible that it, it, that it ever happened. And it's ultra-violent, and you, so on, on the surface, you're going like, oh my god, these people are melting in acid, and these guys are getting shut up, and I'm in this ultra-violent action movie. Meanwhile, the social... Uh, political aspects of that movie are so in your face. Yeah. With, I'll buy that for a dollar. And, and the, the car's called the 6000 SUX. The yeah, sucks. The sucks. Incredible. I mean, it's Horrible just, gas mileage. And it's in New Detroit. And mm-hmm. everything about everything about that movie is just so well done down to the look of RoboCop. He's this clunk. This is supposed to be the future of law enforcement. Right. And he's this sort of clunky throwback look with gears and right right and it's kind of absurd which is what makes it so cool but it's also just cool looking yeah he, he does look cool he does look cool he does look cool um robocop played by uh peter weller he might also know from buckaroo bonsai and uh i believe he started his career in chicago i think he was a steppenwolf guy because oh, i know I he'd be surprised i know he did a lot of lamford wilson plays and stuff like that um yes, anyway he, he did uh lamford wilson's uh buckaroo bonsai Lambert Wilson's Buckaroo. Anyone who, anyone who's a theater motherfucker right now, Lanford Wilson wrote Buckaroo Banzai. Absolutely, you, you heard a, that nonsense here. It was uh, <laughs> performed first on the Steppenwolf stage with uh, John Malkovich. Um, that's how he got yeah. the role. John Rock- John Malkovich <laughs> played Buckaroo. He played Buckaroo. Uh, Gary Sinise played Banzai. He was Banzai. Every, everyone was named. Everyone was named after and a then, syllable. Uh, All the characters. Peter in, Weller in originally that. played John Lithgow. Isn't that weird? He was John Lithgow, <laughs> and it was it was very it was very bizarre. Annette Benning, little little known fact, actually played Peter Weller. Oh, yeah. So you know things change. Things change from one uh, context to the, the next. Sometimes you know you you make a play into a movie, and all the roles are totally different. Uh, this is nonsense. Um, anyway, let's get on what we were going to talk about, because this kind of does lead into it. We're talking about industry stuff in a sort of a way, and. Um, when I asked you what it is you wanted to talk about, a thing that you're coming back to a lot right now, you said, well, I'll let you explain it. That's supposed to be my Oh, is this, is that's this supposed to be my catchphrase. Uh, I don't, uh, that's I, your catchphrase is, I'll let you explain it? My catchphrase is, I'll let you explain it, and then I talk about what a bad catchphrase it is. Yeah, no, that's, an, that's a, such a passive-aggressive catchphrase. I'm just letting you explain it in your own words. No, I'll let you explain no, it. No, because it's your... No, topic. I understand, but like a catchphrase is like, what you talking about? And this is like, I'll let you explain it. No, no. <laughs> yeah. That's basically the same as what you talk about. But you, you've, you've phenomenalized the passive-aggressive aspect of what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking you've about. You've actually reinvented what you're talking about for a new generation of listeners. I don't listeners. know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. What are you talking about? <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. What are you talking okay. Why don't you let me explain it? Hey, why don't you explain it? <laughs> No, so what is your what is the thing that you're coming back to a lot right now? Well, as we uh, discussed, uh, mm-hmm. control yes. and the idea of things that are beyond your control, and then trying to exert control, uh, however, however you can do that in your life, and taking control over what what's happening, and and taking control over things that are way beyond your control, okay. probably that you'll never be able to control. Yeah, I'm just gonna 
say control as many times as possible. It's totally fine. Uh, I, and I, I, I like this because I, in the last, the, the Kyle Kinane and the Ryan Singer episodes, I have... Available now on iTunes. Available now on iTunes. I have struggled with this exact thing because I, and I've said this, this is an ongoing theme right now for me, I do get a little too obsessed with what I believe is out of my control. And I see them as impossible obstacles that I can't necessarily do anything about. And then I start getting all like, oh, I can't climb these walls. Why would I? Why should I even try? And then I sit here <laughs> staring. Right. Again, that's a very yeah, that's a uh, very healthy reaction. To it's not a healthy reaction. <laughs> you fucking ass. It's not a healthy reaction. I know that. But but because I've I sometimes I because I spend too much time thinking about what's out of my control, I fail to see the things that are in my control. Well, and I, I think that uh, most of our behavior can be traced back to what we're trying to exert control over in our lives. Yeah, uh, and what do you think that is for yourself? Uh, well, right now I'm I'm I made the move out to L.A. because mm-hmm. I feel like uh, not the official move. I mean, you're here for a couple months. No, but I but the reason why I'm coming out to L.A. now, right, and uh, not just working on scripts back in New York or back on the East Coast is because I feel like there's a lot more opportunity in L.A. This is where the industry is. Right, uh, I got my MFA. From uh, you know NYU, I got my screenwriting MFA. Right, and if I'm going to put it to use, why would I not be in the place where where, where the industry matters. is, where yeah. that matters? Uh, so things like that just sort of make sense. Uh, but there's also a resistance to it. Where it's like, you can't tell me where the industry is. I'll go right over here. Writing's in my <laughs> head, bro. I can write from anywhere. <laughs> well, that's great, but who's going to read it, asshole? Okay. So yeah. So there's that element of. Um, Sometimes we make decisions that are in our best interests or against our best interests based on what we're trying to exert control over at any given time. Mm. Uh, and sometimes that's just a, you know, a resistance to the, the popular thinking or the conventional wisdom. Uh, you have to go do this thing. Well, I don't want to do that thing. And then we rebel and then you come back around and you go, oh, that's why they told me to go do that thing. Exactly. I had to learn it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have this new joke right now that the... The essence of it is just I'm saying that like the most some of the most profound shit is the simplest, and I've also ho- heard it because the joke basically goes that people think I'm smart because of the way I speak, and they're just like, oh well, he knows it not at least not to be black, but <laughs> there's plenty of people who are who speak like I speak that are black, just so black, ignorant, <laughs> but. There are people who sound like stereotypes that are brilliant. <laughs> it's like I've heard some profound things from from old men that look like blues musician Muppets. And as I walk past them, they're like, hey, hey, life's a meal. Be ready to eat. And I'm like, what the hell does that mean? It's a riddle. But then when I solve it, it really <laughs> means it something. Made, well, but isn't that isn't that the essence of Magical Negro in every movie that's, that has a Magical I'm just Negro? That sometimes it's really hard. Hey, you, are, you, white lady. But when you're an actual Don't magical, forget to look around. When you're an actual Magical Negro, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard just, being an actual. Just because you know that people are waiting for you to be magical. And you're like, damn it. Like, why was what I born? What does a Magical Negro do when he's not? Magical? What does a Magical Negro do when he's not handing out wise advice? What does he do? <laughs> what does a Magical Negro do? He sits here wondering what he can't control. <laughs> Thinking too much Have about you you've now just cast yourself as Magical Negro? I'm, look, Magical Negro is a thing in a movie. I am a Magical Negro in real life. <laughs> I'm magical and I'm black. That's how it be, okay? <laughs> no, I'm not. I got lots of wisdoms. That's why everyone's listening to this podcast. Of course. They're just, they're just hey, white lady on the treadmill listening to this right now, don't forget to take a moment to 
run toward your future I don't, and not away from it. I don't know whether I should <laughs> laugh or cry at what you're, what you're doing right now. Anyway, let's get back on point. But that is important for this white lady on the treadmill to to always be running toward her future, not away from her past. Whatever you say. <laughs> control, control, <laughs> control, motherfucker. Um, but speaking of, so control, what is, what is some, I'm what just is assuming that there's a white woman on a treadmill listening to this podcast. There probably is. I, I hope so. And if you are a white woman on a treadmill right now, Call me. Right. Tell your other white women. Call me. Cut to musical uh, montage in the trailer for the Magical now's Negro the Bondi, now's movie. That's the song, exactly. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, but let's get back to this. Uh, That's going to blow her mind. <laughs> this subject. <laughs> no, this, this woman on the treadmill. <laughs> you should be like, how do they know? Why won't they stop talking about me? <laughs> Hopefully she's laughed herself off of the treadmill right now. <laughs> but not in a painful way where she's face-planted. No, I think that she might have face-planted. Fla- face-planted. Face she's, she's flaced herself. She might have face-planted, which is um, face-planting, but, but in the middle of delicious flan. <laughs> no one's ever... No one's ever called flan. No one's delicious. ever. No one's ever fallen like passed out into a bowl of flan and been like, "Oh, he just he just face flanted." Come on, he that's just flaced himself. He just face flanted. Oh, good God, I don't know what's happening. Um, so control. So you're here. You're doing stuff, trying to do stuff, right? Um, trying to try to do stuff, right? And um, so what what is it that? What are, what are some other aspects do you think in your life that this this theme is coming up? Well, uh, I think it's. Uh, especially important to me right now, just based on the lack of control I've had over the last couple of years in my life. What? Wait, you've had lack Wait. of control over the last couple of years? Do tell. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Bombshell. Uh, so yeah, uh, since getting my MFA, uh, I have spent a year in Iraq mm-hmm. with the uh, U.S. Army, and then a year in Afghanistan mm-hmm. with the U.S. Army. And there was so, a year in between the, those years. So there was right. So uh, basically, it was year we we worked on uh, on Shoot the we Messenger worked, and Wake yeah. Up World, and we were doing comedy uh, during the uh, 2008 political season. And as that came to a close, as that season came to a close, I got deployed to Iraq, and mm-hmm. then spent the next year sort of. And you know that year that 2008 year was really work. Uh, was a year that I was trying to work on, you know, getting my career started, started, and and setting things into this motion. Big fat war kind of got in the way, uh, and so when I got deployed to Iraq, I felt like everything kind of got brought to a screeching halt. And so when I got back from Iraq, it was like picking up the pieces. It was getting back into uh, civilian life, but also just back into. <laughs> Like the world that had moved on, you know, where no one else had been in Iraq for a year that I that I was working <laughs> with. <laughs> so it's kind of like, hey, what was that like? It was, you know, for some people it's like, oh, you just moved to, you know, you just moved to Missouri for a year and now yeah. you're back in New York where it's like, no. You're trying my. to tell stories about people. It's like, wait, you weren't there? Oh, right. Yeah. You weren't in Iraq. I was. Yeah. And so you hear about people's awful year of how they didn't get the Conan, you know, set or, you know, ah, oh, man, I came this close to getting the Fallon job. Oh, well, uh, my body got blown up by an ID. Suddenly I see. But then he met her. So then you were in Iraq. Uh, and then uh, the year after that, getting back was sort of. Uh, it took me longer to get back into the swing of things than I thought it was going to take me. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know. Just it was just it was more of a culture shock. It really was just more of a culture shock. The things that shocked me were the things that hadn't changed. 
Yeah, like it, it wasn't uh, that a lot of people were in the similar circumstances or or places in a their lives. A full year, a full year had gone by, and, and their savings account still isn't one. Right, there's still not a savings account. People are still huh. running from their student loans. Uh, you know, people who had been the way they were when I left were exactly the same when I got back. And you know, the comedy world is so is so weird in terms of uh, <laughs> being snapshots right. of uh, a time in your life. And it's very it's sometimes disconcerting when you leave and the the places change, but but the in, people in don't. The, and some of the people change. Well, there's new people. There's new people. The then, thing that has changed right. is that suddenly there's just new people and you're in a new space. But the conversations are the same. Right. The, um, the, the, the attitudes are the same. Mm-hmm. People's circumstances are the same. They're still dealing with their shitty apartment. They're still dealing with, uh, they're still dealing with bookers. Same and, jokes, and, different comedians. And it's, it's really weird to just kind of come in and be like, the only thing that's different is like, I don't know these four 20-year-olds. Like that's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's all. They got changed. some good jokes, but I have no idea yeah. who they are. And a couple of people moved to L.A. <laughs> right, and you know maybe they, oh, uh, you know the, Joey got a staff job. All right, he got out. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, huh? Interesting. So that was big for you when you came back, and just like things were different, but were still the same. Right, and then also, but then <laughs> the the flip side of that, where the things that had changed were uh, a lot of people were getting jobs. You know, they had been working at it for a number of years. But because they Uh-oh. weren't interrupted, I know they're coming for us. Yeah, that's. I hopefully that won't turn out. But continue what you were saying. Uh, the uh, airplane or helicopter or something passed over. But people were getting jobs. People were getting jobs, and I their think their work, their toil had paid off. Their toil had paid off, and like a lot of people we know that ended up getting on Conan jobs. Or absolutely, like and and Daily Show jobs, and much stuff like that. much deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but their their careers hadn't been interrupted. Yes, they, you lost so a year. They so did there not was lose a year. there was that aspect of. Oh man, did I just spend three or four years prior to this working for something that now I have to start from scratch again? Right. Because it you're took back, you're back to zero. Back to zero, mm. and that's really overwhelmingly difficult to uh, to deal with. I think. Um, so I think that's that was part of like what what took me a while to get back in the swing of things, and I wasn't quite sure how to get back in the swing of things. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. Well, what shows should I go do? What you know? Who are the new people who are booking shows? What are the new shows, or what are the shows now that have replaced the shows that had, you know, buzz and you know these were yeah, the hot shows yeah. to do? Now those shows are gone because those people who ran those shows got jobs and moved and don't run those shows anymore. So what are the new good shows? You know, so there there's that element of it as well. Okay, so then you were back for a year. I was back for a starting year, starting to get into the swing of it. And you know, full disclosure, you and I had been working on projects. Yes, uh, and I think the things were actually looking like they were going pretty well. And then <laughs> Afghanistan. And then Afghanistan. Well, it's a bit of sweet <laughs> symphony. I can't think of any more songs meow, that are meow, like meow, 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 in movies, meow. just like All Star and <laughs> those are only those are the only. Oh, you know what else is that other song? Uh, who, who who's that? Who's that band? Oh man, now I can't remember it, but I I have their albums, but it's like a like a. Oh, I kind of know. It's like a, like a lot of cheerleaders using sleigh bells. Sleigh okay. bells is the name of the. Band. All right. Oh, and there's this song too, and this is this is for the moment when when uh, I make my big comeback. Okay. Because just when you think I'm out of it, right? Then I'm like, you know what? It's time for a change. And I get a new wardrobe, and then slow mo walk. How do you like me now? How do you like me now? 
Well, now you get New York State of Mind, right? You're back mm. from New York. You're, you're back from Iraq. In New York. Oh, good God. So anyway, Afghanistan. <laughs> Everything is a movie trailer. Uh, mm-hmm. You go to Afghanistan. Right. Or you get tapped. Because I remember you starting to go to bases again. <laughs> yes. Well, no, I, that one happened very quickly. Uh uh, the the move to Afghanistan. Right. Uh, I got uh, I got what's called involuntarily uh, cross leveled, which means a unit just needed a slot to be filled, and they found my name and went, he fits the bill, and put me in it, and then oh. that's what happened because I uh, they needed my MOS, which is my job in the army. Right. Um, so they needed uh, I was a public affairs supervisor. Uh, I still am. I'm an E8, Master Sergeant, kind of a big deal. Don't know what that means. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Okay, still not, I still don't it's know. It doesn't matter. But We're blowing the minds of, of white women on treadmills. Oh my God, so many white women just flaced. They, they, could, they could, <laughs> Flaced down. They just flaced because hearing you say what you just said made them cream their <laughs> their workout. <laughs> their work. They creamed their workout. <laughs> They're Benari. We're getting disgusting. Anyway, so you got placed in a unit. Yep, uh, I got voluntarily cross level. Yes, or as not we like to say, a great indie band. I was voluntold to go to Afghanistan. Volunt- uh, oh, that's funny. I was voluntold. So, uh, uh, yeah. So I found out I was going, and then I had to go. How much time did you have? How much notice did you have? Like three weeks. What? Yeah. It was that fast. Yeah, because I found out. I found out, and then I was like, "This can't be a real thing." And so I was checking through all the channels, and meanwhile, because I'm like, this, "They're going to their." Their bases and their training levels, like in three weeks, and then it ha- and then suddenly I'm going like, nope, you got to be on a plane. Okay, <laughs> wow, okay, and then you Afghanistan for a and year. And then I Afghanistan. So well, first Texas and then Afghanistan. Right. Well, so. Texas wasn't that long, like a month or something. It felt so long. It was like two months, and it was as long as Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> the two months in Texas were as long as the entire time in Afghanistan. Fort Hood. Interesting. Fort Hood, Texas. Okay. Well, shout out to Fort Hood. <sighs> That's the shout out. That's the shout out. <laughs> Fort Hood, here's your shout out. Ugh. And that's not an orgasm. No. That's disgust. That's disgust. That's just that's a disgusting orgasm. That's watching someone flant, fl- flace. <laughs> Which is different than flanting. I don't know what I'm flanta. Don't you want to flanta? Um so you were in Afghanistan. Okay, here's a here's the thing, and I've heard you you have a joke about this. <laughs> I probably have several. Just about why you joined the army. Oh yeah. Can you talk about it? Uh that's classified. <laughs> Uh, in your heart, uh, in my in my heart, in right. my soul. Well, your dad was in the army. My dad was in the reserves, um, right. and he was a uh, he retired as a lieutenant colonel. He was in uh, the medical. Uh, he's not in the medical field. He was in a medical unit, and he did. Um, he was uh, lieutenant colonel as with the eight hundred fourth medical brigade, right? And um, and then several other units. And he went to Iraq in oh three. And uh, oh. he was in Iraq in 03 when I went to Guantanamo. So we had very different deployments. Yeah. Uh, my, so I ended up, so I got deployed. My first deployment was uh, 02, 03. My deployments have gotten progressively worse <laughs> over the last 10 years. Yeah. I kind of started off with like, I, I know Guantanamo it's hilarious to me. Guantanamo was cushy in Guantanamo sort of Guantanamo was cushy. Well, no, Guantanamo, there was, Guantanamo. Comparatively, was cushy. Guantanamo would be great if it weren't for the army. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fantastic it's a vacation fantastic spot. fantastic vacation spot, except for all that army. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it's a weird – Guantanamo is a really weird place. That's a whole other podcast. Okay. Uh, and then uh, – yeah, and then I was uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. 
so take that old man uh it was it was a uh it was something that we fought about when I was in high school he wanted he thought I could join to get money for college right. and uh, he thought it'd just be good uh change of pace for me and that there were other jobs in the army He's like you don't have to be a door kicker you don't have to be infantry you can go do this type of job you can do medical you can do this type of job mm-hmm. you can do signal corps and uh I found out when I was when I when I was looking into it that they had public affairs I was like oh this is kind of cool I can learn how to edit on the Avid and Premiere which I which I the army taught me how to edit huh. <laughs> uh, so I I have nonlinear editing skills thank you Uncle Sam <laughs> uh, and and you know I use uh, we use HD Panasonic cameras now uh, and and for broadcast stories and I learned how to run a radio board and I learned all all sorts of really cool things um, mm. so my job in the army is really awesome. Mm-hmm. And not what you think of as your typical job in the army. In the army, right? Uh, but the things that come along with that are all the army parts of it, like going to Afghanistan to do your job. Uh, so, um, having to actually walk around with a gun, right? Yeah, you have to learn how to how to uh, take film while you have like an M4 or M16 strapped to you. Jesus, which is pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool, man. Quite a camera, but pe- people, you know, it's funny because we're, we're we're there. Like, if if I got in a convoy with with a with a unit, I might have a camera in my hand, but I also have, you know, an M4 strapped to me, right? And if something goes down, you know, I'm gonna have to shoot back, right? Um, but and hopefully, like but there's a but hope there's a, that your footage doesn't get messed up, and hope that my footage doesn't get messed up. I'm gonna have to, you know, I have to multitask here. Oh no, my footage! But it's funny because even people in the military, they see the camera and then they're like, "Oh, you're not army, or you're not, you're the press. You're." It's like, no, I'm. I'm, I'm here. I'm wearing the same uniform as you yeah, guys. Are. Yeah, yeah. You have I'm a rank. Ju- I'm either documenting this, or I'm doing like a, a story, or I'm I'm getting footage to send out to news stations. You know, my job is to make you look good. Mm, okay, but they think that you're a time reporter. But yeah, but but sometimes. But if you go to a unit that's like an infantry unit or like an MP unit, or that doesn't have a lot of experience with uh, cameras in their faces, right? Uh, their immediate instinct is just like, "You're the press." Don't tell him anything. It's like uh, I my security clearance is actually higher than yours, buddy. You do that, and then you high five yourself, and then I high five myself. <laughs> you, do, <laughs> you do the Liz Lemon high five yourself, and then I run because they're very large individuals and oh. they don't have senses of humor. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Well, let's get back to this control thing. So you're back from Afghanistan. It's been a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple months. Is that right? Yeah, only a couple months. Only a couple months. May. May. End of May. Okay, so like five, five, six? Yeah, this is math. Who knows when this podcast is going to come out? I don't know either. I don't know. Lady on the Treadmill, if you can check the calendar. It's probably going to come out in 2013. All right. I'm saving this for December 21st, 2012. It's like a really important date for me. <laughs> for me. For, for all um, of us. For any of us. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just curious as to like uh, not only in the – because it is a career thing. You're looking at control in the context of right, so getting back – so for me, joining, I joined the reserves, and right. I'm still in the Army Reserve, and I'm very proud of my service in the Army. I'm very proud of my military service, and I'm glad that's an aspect of my life. But when I joined the reserves uh, in 99, uh, this, was not my, this was not what I thought my career path would be. I thought it was something that I would do in addition to whatever my career was going to be. Right, right. And I think that events that <laughs> were beyond my control and, yes. and a lot of people's control— um, change that. Change the course of. of so, w- so when I talk about the last ten years, or I talk about the world since nine eleven, or I talk about, or when I have conversations with people about 
oh, well, you know, just the last 10 years have been crazy for America to, America and everything. Uh, for me, it's been very specific. It's not, it's not notional. It's not, <laughs> it's not abstract. Okay. 9-11 very definitively changed the course of my life. Yeah. Um, True for anyone, many, any military. For, for any military, and uh, in a very real and profound way. And um, so in terms of that, I feel like, all right, I've now spent, I spent this time in the last 10 years or 13 years uh, with the military being a very large part of my life. Right. Now it's also time to give equal time <laughs> and focus to your own personal to my To my own personal life and to uh, the career that I intended to, to follow. Right. And this is why you're here. And then, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Dude, did we just get deep, man? I just had a brain flan. <laughs> you just had a brain flan. I just got deep shitted. That's, you deep shit yourself. <laughs> that no. sounds awful. That's the, that's gotta be, that's the terrible. Deep Please. shitted? I know, I thought about calling my three listeners um, deep shitters, but that's awful. It just sounds like they have awful gastrointestinal problems. Yeah. Like deep shitters. It's like I can't unless the toilet is twenty feet, down, like going twenty feet down. You don't understand what's coming out of my turd knock hole. What? Um, you the looks of disgust you're giving me right now are totally appropriate. Hey, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you the Fort Hood shutout. Uh oh. Oh Jesus. Um. Okay. So when you think about things that are in your control, and because when I when I think about you, Benari Polton, you're you're a go getter. You're 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 a self realizer, is that if that's a term? You know sure, I believe they call it secreting now. Se- I'm sorry. Oh, because you do the secret. You do the secret. Oh. I don't do the secret, or do I? Uh oh, my secret. It's a secret. Suddenly um, I sud- suddenly I secret there. <laughs> what you couldn't you couldn't go? I don't know. That, that's it. You that was it. That it? was the line. That was a suddenly I secret. Um. By men and I, because it's a deodorant. Strong enough for men. Isn't there a deodorant called yeah, Secret? Yeah, strong enough for men. Made for a woman. Yeah. But what if... What pH if, balanced for pH a woman. pH balanced. But what if you're if you need it for, as a man? Are you just going to It's strong it? enough for you. It's strong enough for you, but you're going to be like, oh, this... Like, you, you put it on, you're like, oh, this is messing with my pH balance. Yes. I can feel it. There's not pH I can balance. Fe- I can feel my tits growing. Me. I'm now going to grow oh, tits. Oh, I'm lactating. Um, Which would actually be a good... I mean, for men who want... A pair of tits for a day. Secret. Secret. That's what it does. That's the secret. That's the secret. That's the secret that they're not That's telling you. The secret. You will grow breasts if you're male and you put it on. So every man this would secretly all, buy secret just true. for that. We've re, we did a research paper and we experimented. They wouldn't on. say it. No no man's gonna be like, Yeah, I'm actually gonna do that. But yeah, exactly. Totally be like, He's gonna be like, No, it's beer. I got, I got Sunday <laughs> it's off. Beer and nachos, that's yeah, why. I'm watching the game by myself. It's mm. much oh, yeah. But so I'm just thinking about like you, that you're a go getter. Like what 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 is it that you? Because it's 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 hard to talk about this in a, in a way in which I'm not directly related <laughs> to what you're doing, <laughs> right? Because I am directly related to what you're doing. Because and 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 you are my writing partner, right? So it's like your career shit is, just got deep. Uh oh, your career is, is connected to my career. So I, it's like when I think of when I'm trying to think of well, what is it that you're doing? To approach these certain things, I don't see the way that I'm not related to it. Because right. It's like, well, I got to make you stop sh- staring at walls <laughs> so we can get some writing done. Well, I, you know, I, I think that in the more general sense, yes. uh, 
this goes to uh, comedy and also in entertainment, it is very collaborative. Um, mm-hmm. I think that uh, if you're just talking about you know writing, I think that we have this idea that I got to do it on my own. I yeah. got I got to make this happen on my own, and I don't think that that's true. I think that uh, the friendships that you forge, I think that the business partnerships that you forge, mm-hmm. um, the creative partnerships that you forge throughout the course of whatever you're doing, um, these are things that will help you along the way. I don't, not to get too political, but this idea that you that you do it on your own mm-hmm. is a myth. Because even if you're doing it on your own, there's still people that you're that that you ha- that you that, collaborate with that you collaborate with that you and trust that, to that will help you, even if it's just providing you feedback or even if it's just keeping you on track. Right. You know, you you know, no man is an island or no woman is an island. And I think that no, we're more like a kind of like, a, like tributaries. Yeah, or maybe yeah, I don't know, an estuary. An estuary <laughs> is that a thing? No man's an island, but they're like they're kind of like the Hebrides. <laughs> Why'd you get out? Why'd you get all Jewish now? No man is an island, but he is a peninsula. All right, continue what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Peninsula, the Isle of Volva. Peninsula, peninsula. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> continue what you're saying. Collaborations. <laughs> you regret this collaboration, right? I now. regret this collaboration. I can feel it. I can deeply. Deep, shittily. Deep, shittily. Deep, shittily. You uh, regret this. But what are some of the things? I guess. How do you determine? something is or isn't out of your control? That's a that's a great question, Bear. Glad you asked that. Okay. Uh you you can't. <laughs> you don't know. Well, but but like in the, in that sense that like you you have to kind of read it in the moment. Sure. Right? But I mean that's you know th- there's there there there're clichés and there're sayings, you know. Same all. You know and the and then there's there's uh, of course um I think what is it AA that uses the you know grant me the the uh, the ability to uh, Oh yeah know, like, it's um like the certainty to, to grant to, me the the strength to change that which I can right the courage to accept that which I cannot and the and the wisdom, wisdom to, know to know the, the difference. difference I might have confused strength and courage but but I think there's a reason why that that's I think that there's a reason why that that's repeated because yeah. it's not easy to to know the difference, right? And if we knew the difference, we wouldn't do some of the things that we do. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you don't know till after the fact that, oh, I didn't have the ability to control that. That was something that was out of my control. Well, lesson learned. And generally, that's true when it comes to dealing with people. Yeah, in general, you yeah. can't control another person. You can just jive with them. <laughs> right. What you don't like. To- the word jive? No, I'm fine with the word jive. I just, I didn't know that that was the direction you were going to go in. Well, I just mean you can't control other people, but you can you can learn how to talk to other people. You can learn how right. to, because that's, that's not even just like, it's not just learning how to ask for what you need, but you have to attune it to each person. You know, there's well, there's there's sensitivity and tact and empathy. This, and this goes back to collaboration. I think this is why collaboration is so important. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why collaboration is so important on true success. Right. Um, if you look at, and just to use, I don't know, I'll use Christopher Guest as an example. Christopher Guest has created a very successful career. Christopher Guest? Do you want to talk about Christopher Guest? Let's talk about Christopher Guest. Be my guest. <laughs> Go ahead. There's no need to this get guy. that upset. It's, it's very upset. <laughs> <laughs> so Christopher Guest uh, has created 
I think, a, a very nice career out of collaboration with mm-hmm. people that he trusts and that he works well with. Almost in a repertory kind of company sort of way. And and it's, you know, they, they do exactly what they do, and they're great at what they do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's that doesn't just bring about success. It's not just a commercial success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a creative success that comes from that, and I think that there's a satisfaction knowing that it's fun. We had fun making this thing. Well, you know, I, and, and having fun doing what you, you know, there there are people out there, and when it comes to careers, right? there are people who look at careers like, I have to sacrifice my family and my friendships right. to make this happen, and I'm going to kill myself 23 hours a day, right. sleep an hour, get up and do it all over again for the next 20 years. And they're going to get to the end of that and say, okay, I built all this, whatever it was that they built. Right. And hate and resent everyone that they that they pushed away during those years, and they're gonna have no one to uh, enjoy, to it, enjoy or it, it with or, or share it with. Right. And and they're gonna resent you for not appreciating that they sacrificed those years for it. Mm. And I think there that is definitely a mentality that some people have when it comes to their careers mm-hmm. of like I'm sacrificing everything for this, and so the career is everything. And I think that like the career is only good if it brings you the. <laughs> The satisfaction uh, in your personal life as well. That if it brings you happiness doing what, what it is that you do. I think you should like what you do because you're, if you're going to spend a lot of time doing it, it shouldn't be doing something that's not fun that and you not, hate, that you hate. Especially around, and, and around people you hate. Yeah, because there's lots of, there's lots of things that can make you little money <laughs> that you're going to hate. So might as well do the thing that you love doing that makes you little money. Like, True <laughs> if, if, it, if these are your choices right now, right. You know, do the thing that you like better. You know, uh, hustle and flow. Yes. Well, two things. I'll say two things. Because um, you mentioned the you Christopher did. Guest You said thing. hustle and, and flow. flow. Okay. Um, there, I think that the in, was interesting because, you know, and some people have talked about this before, but I think about it's, it's very much clear or it's, it's, it's clearer in the comedy movie world mm-hmm. that people like Christopher Guest have this longevity because of their collaborations, because of creating a repertory company. Sure. If Christopher Guest just did everything himself, he would have like a bunch of movies, but he, he sticks with people that he loves, that mm-hmm. love him, that they all really get each other. Um, and then I think the same thing is true for like Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. And he's got like a bunch of people he likes to work with. Ben Stiller. Uh, he's got a lot of people that he likes to work with. Uh, and then I'd say the other one is, uh, is uh, Will Ferrell and, and Adam McKay. Sure. That like... They have, you know, the Funny or Die brand, Gary Sanchez, and then, you know, then Judd Apatow's company. I can't know. I can't remember the name of their their company. Ben Stiller's Red Hour. So it's like they have these, and that's and that's what, in a sort of a way, it's the opposite of the problem with most sketch comedy. Right. Is that sometimes you can't just put together a bunch of people that don't know each other and expect gold. Well, you can't. It takes a while before a group dynamic is created. Well, that's the thing. It's what it is is chemistry. You it's can't just expect you can't just expect that all these very funny stand-ups or these funny people are going to work well together. Right. It's about working well together. And I think that in 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 terms of Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. the best casts have always been after they've known each other for a while. Right. And then sometimes it's because they knew each other before they were on SNL. Sure, but this also goes to you know, talking about the production companies, the the industry is something that no one can control. No right. one can control what audience tastes are going to be like. Right, right. Uh, or what they're going to respond to. Or what's going to be... But boy, you know, they break their ass trying to figure but it out. But people 
break their ass trying to figure it out. So if you form this production company that does these sort these types of movies that you want to make, mm-hmm. that's in a sense trying to take control over something that's beyond your control. I'm going to work with these people or these types of people on these types of projects, right? Because I don't have any control over who's going to who's like going to like it, yeah. or what studio is going to green light it, and et cetera, et cetera. So in some sense, that that creating these these sort of production companies is a, is a way to exert control over something that's way beyond anyone's control. Well, it's what you're saying. It's like, why not do what you like? Yeah. And they're doing what they like with people they like over and over and over again, hoping that somebody will be like, also, we like it. The people right. with no imagination. Yeah. <laughs> and also. But all the money. We like But it. don't forget about us. Yeah, exactly. People with no imaginations have. No, wait, we don't. People with no imagination have been running the world for centuries. How do you like me now? Oh, good God. I wasn't going to go into that. I was trying to do like the better living through business. Like, right. I got you. Uh, well, and uh, to, give you, to give you a uh, more. Improbable. Yeah, but to give me a more what? You were uh, uh, to give you a more specific example for me, um, Afghanistan <laughs> being deployed there was was totally out of my control. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of circumstances in Afghanistan that were beyond my control. So all I could do was the only the only one thing that I had control over was how well I did my job, and then what things I got involved with that I thought were important. Right. So I got involved with the Wounded Warrior Project and did a lot of work with that. Okay. Um, and that. Because that was one very rewarding for me, but I thought that, that was an important thing to do. Um, I got very involved with um, with the Jewish community in the military. The military Jewish community, um, you know, there are lots of services provided through other groups from uh, from donations, and then also the the military has uh, they have Jewish chaplains, and you know, they offer services and for uh, and and it was actually kind of really cool to find that because I remember that the policy used to be uh, don't ask, don't kvetch. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask, don't quell. <laughs> don't quetch, don't quell. Uh, I'll continue. But no, it is. It was. It was cool too to find, you know, to find out not only that there were Jews in the military, but there were a lot of them. Right. Uh, and then to ha- you know to have and it broke. You know, if I went to Shabbat services on Friday nights every week. It broke up the week, um, mm. and it was great to just sort of have a community within this community. Um, and that's what you're saying is find a community, find a community, and then get involved with things that. You know, you enjoy doing so. If like my days sucked, okay, my days are going to suck. But at least I'm at the end of it. I was proud of what you know the work that I did on this project. So right. if I work with the when the warriors that we got involved with doing humanitarian assistance stuff. I love doing humanitarian assistance projects, um, and those were some of the longest days and some of the scariest days. The convoys that I went out on were because of humanitarian assistance stuff. Right, um, and so those were sort of dicey. But at the end of the day, it was like this was this is something that was worth it. This was this was something that I I would look and look at and say I, I'm proud of this. I'm proud of the work. Well, it's that w- literally making the world a better place. It's and if all you have control over is your little corner of the world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's all you exert control over, then just try and make your little corner of the world better. If everyone did that, if well, then the world would be a better place. Hey, <laughs> I think you stole that from a commercial. I stole it from a magical Negro. Ah. Oh. Call him back. Oh. To be fair, he gave it to me. Okay. And to be fair, I don't think I'm a magical Negro. Um, <laughs> you just disclaimer, you want I everyone to know. I just think black people are better than most other people. <laughs> and they're magical. <laughs> Damn it. Stop affixing the word magical to things. Affixing or prefixing, if you know. All right. Um, like a dinner? The magical Negro dinner? Oh, God. <laughs>
I know. I'm, I we'll prefix that I out of this I'll podcast. We'll prefix that out of the podcast. Um, so, well, that's great, and uh, that's well, that's great. I, lo- <laughs> I love how I love that's how transitionary, great. how transitional thinking that was. That's great. Well, uh, that's well, great. I really okay. don't remember what you were talking oh, about, but that's awesome. great. No, I do remember exactly what you were talking about. I'm just trying to think of ways to tie it together. I understand into this into the, like I'm just fucking freestyling, dude. I'm fucking free associating over here. Okay. Oh, like have fucking, we have we transitioned into your therapy I'm session? Like the Undercroft over here. Okay. <laughs> wow. Now there's, wow. That's inside. That's really inside. That's alone inside. We did say so, you did say something something that kind of inside. I wanted to say about you said shoot the messenger, which was oh. a show that you and I worked on with Liz Winstead, who is a comedian, writer, mm-hmm. activist, satirist, created the Daily Show. Correct. And um, a lot she, of talented people worked on that with us. Yes, and she had this show idea that I came about through Carol Hartzell mm-hmm. because Carol Hartzell had a brief moment where she was moonlighting with this management company that I was working with and she and Sean Crespo right. had uh, created this uh, friendship with Liz, this right. relationship with Liz and then I guess Liz started talking about this idea she had for a show. Right. They asked me if I wanted to be involved. Then there was a couple different iterations, movements yeah. of it and you came along Myself and then Kevin Janis right yeah. after uh, I came on, and uh, Joe Miller, who now works for Joe uh, Miller works at the Daily the Show. Daily Show. Hank Gallo was there. Well, Hank Gallo was always there. Yeah, I mean the only people that I'm trying to think of who was there from the beginning that that la- that lasted, which was probably me, Sean Carroll, Chrysler, and Liz and Chrysler, Chrysler Nan. Um, I don't know if Ann was in the first. She was the original um, girl right. in the box. She was the uh, that's right <laughs> the lady in the box. That's right. So yeah, back, Christ, back when it was like Nan, back when it was like a high school play. I, I remember. I mean, I, I, yeah. So Chrysler and Ann were were both there from the beginning, and then and I remember I was going I was going to some of those shows like those early early shows, and we would have conversations. I'm like, I know I, I can fix this. You know, like I, I like I would I would see certain things and be like, that's what worked really well. You should do more things like this. How did you? I don't even remember how you came along really. Um, I was showing up, and I knew everyone. Right, and you I, hung I knew out enough. I knew I knew enough people working on. It. I knew Sean. I knew Carol. I knew you. Um, and then, as I, and then as more people were needed, I just sort probably of probably all of us probably said something about you too. I'm I'm sure. And then you know, and then I remember I remember coming to uh, and Lucas Held at the same time. Yeah, Lucas uh, Held came on when Who's I came here? on. Have you seen Lucas yet? Um, I haven't seen him this time out now. Um, okay. So note note to your listeners, so I, I will. Go I will, see Lucas. I will, I will go see Lucas. Note to self. Listeners, uh, Benari's going to go see Lucas. So uh, lady on the treadmill, please remind me <laughs> to see Lucas. <laughs> to see Lucas. When you have um, repaired yourself from the flanting. But it was uh, it was also really fun because I think that the, the as it got more collaborative, mm-hmm. um, I think it got, I got stronger. And, yes, it did. and then we got to play to people's strengths. And yes. once we got to know the personalities involved... You know, it was like this is a great piece for Kevin Janis. We became this a group, right? This is a great piece for you know Chrysler's character. You know, that's the smarmy salesman right. guy. Um, you know, this is this will be perfect for uh, this is you know a great interview thing. Lucas has not this. Only the personality we we started to know the personalities within the troupe, right? But also had created characters that we were understanding better, right? And and you know, it made it. Uh, it also just made it. Uh, more entertaining. I mean, it was more entertaining was for us to be, to be involved with because, the, you know, I think about our Minnesota trip. So we did the three shows at the uh, during the Republican National Convention in, 2000, in 2008 eight. in Minnesota. Yes. And I think those were three of the, I, I would say, some, uh, three of the most rewarding 
live shows that I've been a part of mm. um, in terms of the audience size, in terms of um, the impact at the time, in terms of our ability to uh, timely, you know, in a timely manner respond to what was happening like that day and those days. Um, yeah. It was it was really cool. We were really, f- you know, we were really quick in responding to we things. We were making a daily show. We were making a daily show, if to, you will. To, to borrow a phrase. Uh, <laughs> but but not only that, we were we were we were all at the top of our game. And it was a bunch of really talented people who worked really well together. We had been working out. The muscles were At there. their top of their game. Yeah. And that was so rewarding to see. And those hours sucked. Those were those were Afghanistan hours. It was, like those were those if, were if anything, the whole thing was a true labor of love. Yes. That it's sad that nothing ever came of it. No, but what came out of it was I think stronger performers, yeah. stronger relationships. Um, you know, we learned how to be in all of us who worked on that learned how to be in a writer's room together. Yeah. Um, we learned how to write for other people. Right. Um, we learned how to um, adjust uh, the day of a show. Like if you had a sketch, you know, we, we had we had a couple of sketches that we had to tweak because the news changed. Yeah. yeah. And it was like we're on in like three hours and we have to take out this whole middle section and rewrite it. And the people, you know, the performers had to relearn stuff and change. And, and, and the beauty is that Liz and I always got to have our scripts. You always got to have your Even scripts. Even though I was a good, I'm a quick study. <laughs> no, you're like, like, even though I don't really need them, uh, I don't need the scripts. No, I liked having the scripts. I just, I remember, I've always memorized lines pretty quickly, just uh, because I'm so good at words. But that was, you know, that stuff. was, that was, uh, and I think that also it's how you, you can, you can look at it like it's too bad nothing came out of that for that show. Yeah, well, I mean, too bad that nothing came out of that. That was a, a continuous monetary blah 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 that we could pursue as a, a profession. And that's that is a totally but valid way I, to look but at it. I also it. agree with you that it's like we we. What we were paid with <laughs> was love. It was a little deeper, <laughs> a little deeper than cash, bro. It's a little deeper than cash. My spiritual wallet is overflowing. What spiritual wallet? That's sounds like a, a hippie referring to her own vagina. So anyway, doesn't it? Doesn't I, it sound like that? I I don't think a hippie would really refer to her well, vagina as like a wallet. A really disgusting nickname for a vagina is a meat wallet. Right, but I'm saying a hippie wouldn't be about the cash, man. The hippie would be like, "Should we call it a spiritual my... meat wallet?" No, it'd be like, "This is my." <laughs> I, I, I fundamentally disagree you with disagree your premise. With my word, I, yeah. I disagree with your I'm, premise. I'm noticing that. Okay, well, I we... think she would go the taco route. Oh, that's maybe a dugout. Damn it, we were gonna get tacos, and now you're ruining it for me. <laughs> Wait, why would vagina ruin tacos? Because for you? you just call the vagina a taco. I feel like that would enhance the experience. No. I want a taco, not a vagina. It's gonna ex- it's gonna enhance my experience. Oh, good. Lady on the Ooh. treadmill. <laughs> good God, I'm gonna give you the Fort Hood. We, I need out. to speak to this per- this uh, proverbial <laughs> lady on the treadmill. Call me lot. proverbial. I've definitely used that incorrectly. Is there is there a proverb about a lady on a treadmill? Quintessential. We're creating the proverb. <laughs> um, Proverbs. It's a psalm. Nine twenty two is what we're doing. Um, so in closing, what are the steps? Or what <laughs> No, no, no. What are the steps? Or what do you what do you what do you see yourself doing right now to pursue what you're pursuing? What uh, is it what does it mean for you to take control? I think it uh I think there's a game plan that's involved now that probably wasn't involved before. I think before it was very much like, I'll just do these shows and see what happens. Right. And now I feel like I have much more of a game plan where I'm going to do these types of shows. I'm going to go to 
these types of stand-up shows and mm-hmm. meet these types of people, mm-hmm. and I'm going to write these types of scripts, and I'm going to work on these types of projects. Mm. And I think that... An aim and focus. An aim and focus. And I think that that's really, that's really what it comes down to, is being able to identify what your goals are, and then try and then try and achieve those goals. Yeah. I, I know it sounds so simple, but if you don't, the simplest shit is the profoundest. If you don't That's have a, a goal, and I and I see it all the time in in the comedy world, mm-hmm. you have these guys that just do stand up, or these or these gals, and they just do stand up. They go to the shows and they're like, why why aren't I getting this you know audition? Why didn't I get that? And it's like, well, did you want to get that? Well, I didn't. I I, I wasn't asked. And it's like, well, no. If that's what you want, then spend the next year working towards getting that that specific audition or that specific goal. There is sometimes that entitlement sure. of, why hasn't anyone noticed I'm awesome? Right. It's like, well, you can, if you focus and blah, 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 then, you know, if you want those people to notice you're awesome, then go after that instead of just doing what you're doing. Yeah, and do your awesome thing in front of these people specifically to show them that you're awesome at this thing. Yeah. But here's the other key, the key to that. Be awesome. You got to be awesome. Oh god damn it. What? <laughs> oh, you forgot that? Oh, I forgot the be you awesome part. Awesome. Oh. You your oh other, I love my awesome at home. Your other spiritual no, wallet. No, I didn't bring it out here with me. Your other <laughs> I left spiritual it with my wallet. spiritual wallet <laughs> with that dirty hippie that I was banging and Oh, good god. Uh, it's just saying it's just saying that like, look, <laughs> burning man. I just don't know why. T- would be. Like you have to, you get as a teacher of mine used to say, you got to bring ass to get ass. I'll explain it. You're, you're. No, I don't think you have to. I think that that was very specific to you. No, it's a teacher. <laughs> oh, good God! But it, it just basically means that, like, look, you can go to those places and you can go to those rooms and get these opportunities in front of these people or whatever. But you have to have something to bring. You right. have to. You have to bring something to the party. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But bring ass to get ass. Right. That's a great line. Don't you fucking look at me like I don't know. I'm not. I'm like. just. That's about getting laid. No. It's, yeah. It is. <laughs> but, but it, it, applies, it, it to applies to everything. It applies to a bigger thing. Okay. <laughs> My teacher was. It wasn't a sexual invite. This is something instead of in front of a whole class to specifically only me. But still. No, I'm joking. It was to the whole class. <laughs> to me. Um, it was pillow talk. Oh, good God. All right. Anyway. I had brought the ass. On that. <laughs> on that. Disgusting, and now I've got the ass. On that disgusting note, let's go get some tacos. Well, proverbial girl on the treadmill, I hope that you are not. Uh, working all of your ass off because as I said you got to bring it if you're going to get it Uh, (laughs) that was an episode that you just listened to with my good friend Benari Poulton Uh, probably out of everyone that I've spoken to on the podcast he's the guy I know the best and have known the longest so you just secretly heard the insides of of a decade long friendship I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, yeah, so go leave reviews, please, and comments, positive ones. And, uh, you know, let, let people know how you feel. Spread the word. Tweet it out. Instagram it. Uh, Foursquare it. 4chan it. Put it on your live journals. 
okay? Or I'm going to have to PWNU. You know what I'm saying? Other speak from a different language of a different time? I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I say that a lot, don't I? I don't know what I'm talking about. You know what? I do know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about deep shit. Um, also, check out the All Things Comedy Network, um, which, of course, I got to give myself that plug or give you that plug. I mean to say, give myself and you that plug. I'm telling myself to look at it. I keep going to the website like, yay, so many podcasts. Um, I do listen to a lot of the podcasts on the All Things Comedy Network, as um, I would tell you to do. You will find something you enjoy, I hope. And um, you enjoy me, and can please continue enjoying me. And uh, we will talk again soon, next week, on the deepness of the shitness. Boop farts. Boop farts.